0: A lot of people don't talk about what happens after you go viral, but, like, there's no rule book. You have to think about security, safety, you know, we're dealing with people's livelihoods. There's, again, another level of ethics that came along with their values.
1: You're listening to Stories from the Top, an inside guide to better business development. We are here with Caitlin Durning, the founder of Meraki Media Management. Caitlin, thanks for coming on the show.
0: Thanks so much for having me.
1: For people who aren't familiar with your business, how do you describe it?
0: Oh, yeah, that's a great question. So I started my social media management agency about five and a half, almost six years ago now. Um, The idea was brewing definitely when I was in college, for sure. And once I graduated, I started working with a local nonprofit that really springboarded me into, you know, social media. We had a great success, and the campaign went viral, so I utilize those tactics in my agency now. That's a more majority part of my business, and then I also offer intuitive marketing coaching, which is really just about connecting to your business so uh, my clients can show up authentically online and when they're marketing themselves.
1: Awesome. So what did you originally go to school for?
0: Yeah, so I graduated with a PR degree. Um, So a lot of my work was based around campaign development, events. Uh, That was heavy what we did down at JMU. And the communication school is also really big into research down there. So we were constantly hosting market research analysis, which I learned a lot from. And honestly, I use a lot of that knowledge still in my business today. And I also have a minor in writing rhetoric and technical communication. And that's where I learned about how words can really influence people and persuasion and how to put words together in order to like convey emotion.
1: Very cool. So, yeah. So what was your original thoughts for a career with the PR degree? What were you planning to do?
0: I had no clue, to be honest. Like, I am one of those people. I went into school undecided. I really just wanted to get into college. I lost my dad when I was 15. So when I lost him and my mom and I, I'm an only child. So it was really like, up in the air if i would even be able to afford college or go to college he was the sole provider for our family um so once i got a letter in the mail saying that he had a life insurance policy for me which neither my mom or i knew about it was like okay the world of opportunity has opened up i have to take this money now my parents were actually legally divorced when he died so it was all mine and I was handling assets and stock and making a lot of decisions at 15. So once I decided to go to school, it was really like, okay, I have to buckle down and like find a school that I can afford and get a great education in so I can launch my career. And that just happened to be James Madison down in Virginia. I actually almost didn't get in. I was waitlisted, so I would call them every day in homeroom (laughs) hoping to get in. And eventually they let me in on my birthday week. And once I went down there, it was like, okay, now I'm here. What do I want to do with my life? So I went into Undecided, and I really loved the research side of the communication school at JMU. That's what they're known for is really the comm school down there, at least when I went there back in 2018. So it just happened naturally. I started to gravitate towards those professors, professors their ideologies, how they were approaching communication. It was really an ethical standpoint, um, and I wasn't seeing that in marketing elsewhere. So I liked their ethics and their morals and what they were teaching us in that school specifically. So that's kind of why I chose communications. The PR stuff was more so like it would be cool to be on TV one day. (laughs) So I guess I'll just go for it kind of thing.
2: What kind of ethics and morals um, attracted you to these professors?
0: Yeah. So a lot of my professors were really unique. Like even now, looking back, they have very unique stories. And what they talked about in marketing, especially in my persuasion school, was we studied people like you know, the Manson murders and like really intense marketing schemes that went on and how it influenced community and the mindsets of people. And I just found that really valuable in the sense of in the contrast when they would teach us about that is like, this is how you don't market, you know, (laughs) this is stuff that maybe we should hold back on or how could we phrase this in a way that It could be a little bit more holistic or approachable to the potential people that are digesting this information instead of just throwing a bunch of manipulative marketing their way and hoping to capitalize on it. JMU was really about like how can we see the effects that this marketing is happening currently on students, put them through all of these research surveys, and then how can we take that information and put it out to the public so people know how marketing is impacting people. Um, so that was the first time I had ever even heard about research like that on a marketing standpoint.
2: So you you just connected the Manson murders with marketing.
0: Um,
2: <laughs> what do you mean by that?
0: Yeah, so... Charles Manson was one of the most persuasive marketers probably in the world, you know? Like, he persuaded women to make really crazy uh, animalistic decisions that were obviously unethical. So we utilized that in persuasion class to basically understand what about him was so enamoring and why these women, like, psychologically... Fell into these decisions, um, and there was a lot of debates. You know, within our class, people had different perspectives, and I appreciate a good debate. I love hearing all sides of the story. Um, gray area, like, really fires me up. Like, I love that. So. I enjoyed learning and just becoming more aware of how words are impacting humans, you know, and potentially changing the trajectory of their life, you know, For some of these women, I mean, they spent majority of their lives in jail because of one, you know, decision.
1: Not to get um, too much on a sidetrack, but So what's your personal take on why he was so successful as a marketer for his cult, essentially?
0: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. This is like a Kanye (laughs) type of (laughs) moment, I feel like. Um, Of course, you know, anyone that has people in their family that struggle with mental health. And I just wanted to hold space for that for a moment because in, in my perspective, I think he's struggling, you know, and... People at that time didn't really understand what mental health was. They weren't able to grasp, you know, maybe he's losing touch with reality and how can I ground myself and get back in touch with like empathy and um, human beings and really staying connected. So for me, I think in his perspective, it was His way or the highway, and he went all in on his thoughts. And an intrusive thought would come into maybe his mind, and he took it as fact. And honestly, I think we see this a lot in today's society with undereducated people that might just not know what an intrusive thought even is. Like I know for myself, four years ago, I had never heard that language. So, staying aware to what is an intrusive thought and what is actually my intuition or something that I believe, then you're able to kind of start to separate. But it's a skill over time.
2: So are you saying because he truly believed everything that he was talking about, then he was able to convince other people um, of what he believed to be true as well?
0: Yeah, that's what I believe. You know, that's what we saw, I guess, from studying his behaviors.
2: And I guess there's a positive lesson we can learn from that in business, which is if we have that same attitude that we can affect others as well. 100%,
0: you know, our words can influence and I am a firm believer that like everything that I say, you know, could potentially affect someone impact their lives, change that the way they think. Um, And I think just having that awareness as a business owner, you have to see even a stockholder, you know, inheriting stock at 15, I had to realize that now I have stake in these companies, I am influencing the stock market, if I pull all my money out, the stock's going to crash, I could influence, you know, other people's finances. So for me, you know, ethics and morals, just naturally had to be something that was in the forefront of all of my decisions.
1: I think everyone's met like a super charismatic person that wasn't channeling that for good. Like we've yeah. seen it a lot in a lot of, the almost like the entrepreneurial type of person very often has that going on or yeah. there's a certain subset of them. So it's always interesting to see how people wield that for good or bad.
0: Yeah. And they might even not know, you know, like mm-hmm. I think what's so unique is that good and bad isn't even really a thing, you know? So that's where we have to gauge like are we hurting people? What level does it cross into the darkness? Maybe, you know, how are we uh, lining our missions and goals? And that's what I was sharing with you all a few days ago as well. Like we will only work with companies that we believe in their mission for that reason. And I know you both feel the same way.
1: So from breaking down Charles Manson's mind to a nonprofit, what was the nonprofit you were working at?
0: Yeah, so for anybody locally, uh, the Headstrong Foundation, they're a fantastic foundation. They offer direct benefits for cancer patients down at CHOP. Uh, They have Nick's House. So if you know anybody struggling, they actually will ship people in that um, are from far away that are getting treatment at Penn and they can stay there for free all throughout their term of treatment. Um, And yeah, that was the nonprofit. They're great. They're still around.
1: And did you come in as the social media person for them? Or that was your role when you came in?
0: I was actually the fundraiser. So I was their youngest fundraiser at the time. One of the only people brought in outside of the family at that moment. Uh, Now they've expanded a lot more.
1: Okay. So what was your background in social media coming into the Headstrong Foundation?
0: Nothing at all. <laughs> uh, what I learned in PR, which was, you know, this is how you tweet and this is a productive tweet or something. Uh, I really knew nothing about social media. All I knew was uh, that our target market was women. So I knew the way that they think. I know the way they use social media. And um, yeah, I just knew, okay, if I can boil this down to being like, like, how would I feel if I saw someone trying to raise awareness around this cause, I would totally jump on board. And um, that was my first way of starting to think about social and starting to think about marketing a little bit differently.
1: Yeah. So when you hit your home run with that specific campaign, was that early on? Or was that after some
0: trial and error? Yeah, so we had warmed the audience maybe for about two months prior, and the day of the actual like giveaway launch, which was just strictly to wa- raise awareness, we weren't trying to... Um, get any funding at that time it was more so just about okay launching this setting it off to the races but we had done a lot of outreach prior to our direct target market which is a lot of what we do at meraki media management today all in preparation and it's something you can do ongoing you know We as business owners are constantly in campaigns because we're constantly trying to drive leads. Now you can always strategically develop it around a specific campaign if it's a webinar or something or a course that the client might be launching.
1: Okay. So did you have any help or assistance when you were going through all this stuff, like the trial and error of honing in on that?
0: Um, (laughs) I'll choose my words wisely here. My team was fantastic. You know, I want to make that very clear. They're amazing humans, awesome people. But it was my job as the campaign developer, like really the, the leader of the campaign, to find these people and get them excited. So my job was to basically think about, okay, how can I take something like the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge nomination and put this on Instagram to raise awareness for another amazing foundation that's benefiting a lot of people, um, and that's exactly what I did. So my team members did not have any, you know, input. They actually <laughs> were like, "Okay, do a giveaway, whatever." You know, it's like Thursday afternoon. They're like, "Good luck with that, awesome!" And I remember sitting down with our, um, he was our marketing and website designer at the time to launch the giveaway, and he like was so cool. His name was Ed. And he was like, you know, good luck with this. Like, sounds like it's a good idea. But he basically just copy and pasted it on the website. So I would say that that was probably as much of an impact as they had, you know, on the potent- on the actual takeoff of the viral campaign.
2: So how did you go from being
1: good at social media to wanting to start your own business, doing it for other people? And real quick, too, I just want, can you explain How the campaign went viral and what the results of that were, just so people understand.
0: Totally. Yeah. So basically, I launched the campaign on Thursday night. Just I was coming into work on Friday. No clue what would happen. So I just launched the campaign. I put it out on social, nominated. Basically, we had a, a leader of our campaign who was like kind of like an influencer within our market. And it worked really well to our benefit. She helped me launch the actual nomination part of the campaign. And I came in on Friday, and I mean, we had hundreds of thousands of people tagging us. And I realized okay, this is gonna die. You know, it's not going to continue growing if I don't continue to like. Basically boost their ego you know when you think about social media it's just ego driven so I thought okay well I'll screenshot the images that they're tagging us in because now that's our property you know apparently to Instagram at that time so I was able to screenshot and re-tag them so then they continued to nominate more and more people so then it wasn't just in the isolated industry of ideal clients. It had then started to expand. So, for example, for the purpose of today, sorry, um, we were working with women's lacrosse players. And then we started to expand to like field hockey, which makes sense because a lot of lacrosse players also play field hockey or like their best friends play field hockey. Then it continued to go to soccer players in Ireland. You know, Philadelphia Flyers players are nominating the Headstrong Foundation. So by the end of the 30 days, I mean, we reached 13 million people through this campaign and um, people that had would never heard about the foundation before. And going back to the question about social media and you know, why now? I didn't want this, you know. I actually cried when I got the role of head of the campaign. I, like, was in my boyfriend's parents' house upstairs sobbing, like, this is way too much pressure. I'm 21, 22 years old. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I don't know how to raise this money. And um, I just did it. And then it was like, okay, now what do I do next? So I quit my job. I actually traveled across Europe. I felt super lost, even though I just had this amazing experience. I didn't know what this meant. Um, So I went to Europe for three weeks and my mom, bless her heart, was my best marketer. She still is through word of mouth. I just had clients, you know, she was sharing about the success and she said, I found a few business owners for you. Like, If you want to do this when you get home, they're ready. And it was kind of like now or never, you know, if I don't take this opportunity, when will I? um and I was twenty two when I started the business officially,
1: so you're almost kind of riding off the success of that headstrong campaign, totally, so what made you want to quit right after that huge home run?
0: Yeah, <laughs> you guys are great at asking questions, so it it was challenging, you know, when you don't always agree about what to do with the success, you know, something like this viral of a campaign for business owners that have never experienced anything like this. It is really scary, you know, like, and I just want to hold space for that because a lot of people don't talk about what happens after you go viral, but like, there's no rule book, you know, Uh, You have to think about security, safety, you know, we're dealing with people's livelihoods, their lives, literally. So there's, again, another level of ethics that came along with their values that they were trying to decipher. What do we do with this growth? You know, we raised $75,000. Our goal was originally $25,000. Now we have this lump money, like what do we do? And we just honestly didn't see eye to eye. So I knew that This was going to be awesome for them, and they were kind of living in the fear, and I was like, you know what? I just want to be excited about this. I feel like this was a huge success, Um, and yeah, it was just best for us to part ways at that time so they could do what they felt was best for their business at that time.
1: So, excuse me, so when you started to, when you decided to go into your own business for social media... Did you have any background in business or training or anyone in your family who was an entrepreneur? Or how did you go about thinking, I'll do my own business versus look for a job at another social media type of business?
0: Yeah, so... I hated going into work <laughs> like my work was not something that I enjoyed like the nine to five grind was just not for me I actually was like physically sick from it um, so I knew that I wouldn't go back into another career like that like you know even if I did work for somebody else I knew I would work from home and just have like more flexibility even my boyfriend he's like you're just like not that type of person so it's against who I am one and then also it was you know at this point am I going to build equity in myself like especially you know being in stocks from the time I was 15 like I see equity differently I see money differently just because of my experience than most people my age you know now I'm 27 so it was really about like Where do i want to build equity if i can build equity within myself and have myself as an asset in addition to all of the other assets that i have that's what i'm going to do and even if it's going to be hard i know in the long run it will be worth it
2: so what was the first step you took when you're building your business
0: Yeah, you know, it's so funny. Looking back, I think the first thing I did was like get my LLC number because my uncle guy is a lawyer. So that's another thing. Like my grandfather was an entrepreneur. I know that you asked about that as well. So I did have people guiding me. I also had a financial advisor who was really like a father figure at the time. And I run a lot of things by them. Like even to this day, you know, I'll call my uncle guy and ask him about contracts and things like that. So I'm very blessed that I have, you know, this kind of like my <laughs> my people to help me. Um, but yeah, I, I think it was it was really just about. How can I create a business that will continue to push me forward? And the first step that I took was the LLC and getting my Facebook URL (laughs) because I thought that that was really important at the time. And looking back, it doesn't matter at all. You know, don't worry about those small things. Um, If really what I should have been focusing on was like getting more clients and building my systems and honestly testing my process you know because the process worked one time and that was really what i did in the first few years it was just about using these accounts as guinea pigs of course with the business owners well aware that i was testing different ways and methods and um, it just ended up working really well even though today those methods still work through every single algorithm adjustment shift you know we don't leave it up to the algorithm we go and we find your ideal clients and we get in there and we start talking to them just like you would if you saw somebody on the street that you knew that you could support.
2: So you converted some of these clients that your mom passed your way. Was that your starting base?
0: Yes, yeah.
2: And how many uh, clients did you start out with?
0: I had about three. So one was my big, big client. And it's so funny, like they were a beauty-based client and I still work with a lot of beauty-based businesses. So that did get me a lot of really great connections. And then I just had a few other clients like local influencers, influencers, and they weren't really paying me anything because I was still testing a lot.
2: So did you have like a strategy that you were offering as your your service, anything that you can share?
0: Yeah, I guess the strategy would be, you know, don't be afraid to communicate online. Like it's called social media for a reason. And when I started seeing that a lot of business owners are like doing this tactic, this is going to like date me, but we used to say this all the time a few years ago, like post and pray, like it's not really something that people say anymore, but that was the majority of the market, you know, even an influencer, like they weren't actually being social on the platform five years ago. Now it's completely changed as we can all see with things like TikTok, it's become much more dynamic and These younger generations are like used to talking online. Some of them might even be more comfortable talking online than they are in person, which is what we're seeing um, just when you look at it from like a communal standpoint. But yeah, I just think be social, like don't be afraid to get in the DMs, you know, it's not a bad thing. It can actually be a really good thing.
2: So you mean not just posting, you're, you're commenting, doing the direct messages, having conversations much more effective than just post and pray? 100%
0: yeah because people want to know you you know like when you think about it at the end of the day when you buy something even when you're buying something off Amazon there's like this back idea where you're like I know Jeff Bezos is going to collect like 10 cents off of this you know or I know this small business owner that's actually paying to be on Amazon like I'm going to benefit them and what we're seeing in society is that people are purchasing like they're consciously purchasing now So if you are in there and they want to purchase from you and they want to get to know you, you know, that's what's going to make them buy. Um, And that's what's going to make them continue to buy and stay on with you long term.
1: Yeah, I I still to this day see a ton of posts and praying on LinkedIn specifically. I feel like it's just like, we're here if you need this. And it's like one like, no likes, or they liked it from their other non-business, you know, like their personal account on the business page. And it's always just. It's not effective and it doesn't, it doesn't, it's almost kind of cringy to see someone screaming into the void like that.
0: It is cringy. Yeah. <laughs> you feel bad for them. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um So um with your business, did you come into it with a business plan? Did you know where you wanted to be and grow into, or was it just, I did this once, can I do it again type of thing?
0: Yeah. I think for me, it was really like, if I can make some money doing this, that would be great, you know? And, like, if I can build this, like, that would be fantastic. But a lot of, like, marketing is trial and error. And I think that a lot of entrepreneurs will say, like, okay, I went in with this strategy and I did all of this and I knew exactly what I was getting into. I had no clue, you know, I'm 22. I'm just trying to figure out my life and live a life that I actually want to live. You know, when you see somebody pass away that's so close to you when you're 15 like my dad never lived his authentic life like he got up every day and he went to work and he hated it and he talked about how much he hated it and um there's a level of shift like as a child when you start to see your parent live a life that's so miserable like I just knew I wouldn't do that to myself whatever it took you know Um, even today, like I'll get up in the morning and be like, this is way better than whatever else I could be doing, you know. Um, So the contrast for me is really what drove me. But I didn't have any plan. You know, some days I still don't have a plan. The plan might change tomorrow. Um, And I think that that's the beauty of being in business. So I don't focus on as much as the goals as I do my desires of how I want to live and how I want to impact the world.
1: So when did you start seeing success and realizing that this was a sustainable business model
0: in 2020 (laughs) unfortunately um so i really just started to collect like a lot of clients i mean word of mouth was the best form of marketing for me i still think it is you know even with my clients that do social media i'm like don't forget about that word of mouth you know that is your key um And social media can assist with that. But yeah, it was really just about like, how can I get more clients in 2020? I bought my home. I purchased a home with my boyfriend. Um, We are co-owners. So for all those entrepreneurs out there that are thinking like, how did she get a loan for that and things like that? I'm very fortunate. He has a corporate job. He's able to show income to assist with me purchasing my house. But yeah, we felt safe enough to go ahead and buy a home. And then, you know, the week we settled on our house was the Philadelphia shutdown. So all of the leads that I had collected over the past, you know, two, three years of being in business at that time completely died. I had one client that took us through the pandemic, bless his heart, he's still around, he has a great business, a video gaming business actually locally, and um, he kept our business afloat. I had one team member at that time and my main goal was to just keep Meraki open, you know, I didn't collect any income from that at that time and that's where, you know, having my stocks really has assisted me in running an entrepreneurial business at my age specifically.
1: Yeah, the market was crazy over the pandemic with everyone else getting into it. Yeah. Yeah, so it seems like people would have picked up in social media during the pandemic. Like I know that's kind of eventually what started happening. Like we saw like a drop off and then everyone realized, wait a minute, we can't be in person. Yeah. The on- internet is the only way to do it. Like did you see that shift where people like did a U turn and came like running back?
0: Totally. It was like a 180. One week I woke up and everybody's like, how can I learn how to do this? Can you coach me? What What was interesting about my target market at that time is none of them wanted to pay anything. So for me, it was really like, okay, I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to reanalyze how I've set up this business. Like, is this sustainable for my lifestyle? So I took that time to reflect and, of course, train clients when they were willing to pay. But um, for me, it wasn't really about putting the cart before the horse. Like, I knew I had to get my ducks in a row because I went at this so quickly, so early on, as I explained, like, really intense. Um I took a moment and then the clients just started coming, you know, and some of those clients have been with me now for over three years, like they're fantastic Um, and they're long-term standing clients. But it was interesting pricing myself at that moment in time because it was like, what are other people charging? You know, some people were just getting into this, so they were giving it away for free. I couldn't do that anymore. So it was really interesting time in business and obviously in the economy too.
1: Yeah, that's something we've found it's we uh, for the digital side of our services where like anyone anywhere in the world can do them. You're competing against a huge network of people who are also usually doing really cheap stuff that isn't effective, but to a business person is like, well, I could pay this much a month or I could pay a fifth of that. Let's try that. And they'll usually go through three or four of those till they realize that, oh, I need to find a professional who knows what they're doing.
0: Totally. And I think at that time in COVID, like, they were all like, yeah, I'll just try whatever, you know. And like, I don't blame them. I was doing the same thing, you know. So, um, yeah, it was just about holding the space and like riding out the wave for me. It was like, get us to that wave. I know it's coming. And we made it.
1: Was that when you started the consultation side of your services?
0: Yeah, exactly. So actually, when I first launched Meraki, I launched it on course-based only, no management services at all. And actually, in the peak of COVID is when we started to look into more management services because it was consistent income. So that was the start. You know, I had a course to begin with. I love training people. I love working with people um, and really like just getting into their psyche and understanding their minds and then helping them, you know, pull out of maybe those divots and downfalls. But yeah, so I'm very comfortable coaching and consulting. The course I created is still, you know, pretty solid and it teaches everything that I still do today. Nothing's changed.
2: So you have these different packages. You have the consulting and the full service. How did you come up with the pricing for each package when when you have so much variation in the price among your competitors?
0: Yeah. The few years, it was really hard, you guys, like even for the listeners, like I'm really honest. So it was really, really hard for me. I had to hire people. I eventually just decided, you know, I'm not going to figure this out on my own. And um, I need help. And like for any business owner that's feeling that way, like hire help. Like you deserve it, you and it like was a so
1: business coach it. type of person.
0: Yeah, a few business coaches helped me. I also reached out to some of my clients, like my uncle guy. I connected with again, and I just told them where I was at. I'm like, "What are you guys charging? Like it's like crickets out here, you know? I don't know what's happening because what what happened with my market at least is post COVID. It was really in fluctuating. Like it was one week we're in a high the next week it's crickets for the next three weeks so it was very like um touch and go and my business coaches they actually did a lot of research for me they gave me quotes which were way higher than things that I would feel comfortable charging so that was really where I had to start going inward and like ask myself intuitively what feels good to charge and like what feels safe to charge too Because I don't want my business owners putting themselves out to hire me and then not feeling like they're getting enough out of the relationship. So that was really where I was able to find the sweet spot for my pricing specifically.
1: Yeah, we were, when we first started out, it was a little over 14 years ago, we were very underpriced. And at a certain point, people were telling us like, you need to raise your rates. Like clients were telling us that. Yeah. And we found that like... The good technique we always liked is like some people should be turning your proposals down. Like if everyone's accepting your proposals, your price is way too low
0: that's that was it like my coaches were like caitlin you're crazy <laughs> you know, they're like you're giving this away for free and like then you start to see how much work you guys are doing too like especially with editing like content creation's the same way i'm like i'm in their account every day doing dming like what other social managers really doing that you know and you guys go above and beyond too it's like you have to start to weigh how much time's going into this project
1: it, it's so dangerous if you sign up for a project that oh, this is going to take me like 60 hours to do it. And then you look at the budget, it's like, oh, I'm going to make $3 an hour on this thing. And it's yeah. like, it's just unsustainable. It's and I'll scary. say too, with uh, entrepreneurs who started a business because they love what they
2: do, sometimes it can be tempting to take on those projects just because you really love the work that you're doing. But long-term, it might not be sustainable if if you're putting way more hours into a project than you're actually getting profit out of it. And you can run the numbers. Sometimes you'll find... When you're first getting started you're making very low dollars per hour um and that might seem like you're providing a value to the client but really you're going to be putting yourself out of business in the long run yeah so that's something we learned earlier on and and we had to make some some big leaps in our pricing just because we we knew we wanted to do this long term and it wasn't going to be sustainable at the prices we were charging
0: well said yeah and another thing for me like on the emotional side like i was just bitter you know I'm pissed and I um I would be mad at like my clients too and that doesn't help the relationship at all. Yeah. It's not their poor fault, you know, like I created this. So there's a level of entrepreneurship too where like you take the ownership and you just know that you can change it at any time but it's a whole nother emotional loop, I think.
1: <laughs> so yeah, where were you at when you decided that you needed to kind of scale out and get other people to start doing the work so you could steer the ship a little bit more?
0: Yeah. It was actually a mental health diagnosis that I received. Um, I shared this on my podcast as well. I was diagnosed with PTSD, which makes sense, like from losing my father. It was pretty sudden. Um, Like he had cancer, but he died suddenly. So it was really about how can I cater to my mental health while still being an awesome woman business owner. Like, I can do both things. And seeing my grandfather develop a really strong real estate business, you know, he had properties all over Delaware County. Actually my mom still lives in one of his properties. Like his success has trickled down to us, oh, time and time over again. But he worked every single day, you know, seven days a week and I had to start to ask myself, how can I make this work for me, like not against me? Um, and that's when the scaling just became the only option. You know, like I had to build out the team. I didn't want to write any more content. Again, it was making me a little bit of bitter. And I'm like, I don't like who I am. My family doesn't like who I am right now. <laughs> like I've got I've to gotta take ownership, you know, of this and reevaluate so that was another point which was only you know like a year and a half almost two years ago now where I just took time to reevaluate and hire the right people because when I was going at it a mile a minute like I hired the wrong people and it did not go well you know Um, my clients were really upset and I had to again take ownership for the decisions that I made and that didn't feel good so I knew I wasn't going to do that again.
2: So what were the differences? You said you, at first you hired the wrong people, then you hired the right people. What did you do differently that led to those different results?
0: Yeah. You know, I, before I was hiring people that like I met on Instagram and, you know, it's hard because I'm like an authentic marketing, but a lot of people like they put on this mask, you know, they'll say they know all of this stuff and they've been all these places and they've done all of these things. And then you get in there and you work with them and you're like, hmm, I, I can definitely see that that wasn't the full story, you know, the skill set wasn't there, even though it looked like they, it would be there online, like based off of their marketing. So then I just decided, okay, I'm going to hire people that like, I already know that I'm meeting through networking groups and it actually happened at the perfect time. I joined a women business group, um, it's called the Badass Women in Business and, um, I found my team member and immediately when I met her I was like we've got to work together and she's fantastic like she handles most of the client back and forth communication on Voxer and things like that and I handle like the client calls it's the perfect medium for me So I think, yeah, just meeting the person and actually asking the right questions, like before I just had never really hired anybody that I needed to be at a specific level to create content a certain way. So it was just a huge learning lesson.
1: How did you go about creating your like training program for employees?
0: Yeah. So I have my course that I mentioned at the beginning. And really what the course is, is basically what I would teach, you know, to a corporate client and what I have taught to corporate clients. And it's all based around connecting to the goal. You know, why are we on social media to begin with? why are we here? Are we trying to reach people? Are we trying to raise the awareness? You know, there's so many different ways that you can utilize it. So it always starts with the goal. And then I give them options, you know, because there's not just one way to build their marketing online. And even if you approach it on Instagram, it's going to be pretty similar on LinkedIn, you know, especially if you're speaking to the same person. So that's really what I help them do. I just help them connect back to the goal so they know why they're here. And then they also under and can start to see like okay I've reached that goal now I can find the next goal or I got closer to that goal like it helps them with their accomplishments marketing can be so ambiguous that it can be really hard to see like okay I did something good this month so that's why we do monthly analysis for our clients as well so they can also see like you gained 100 followers this month but they're ideal client followers they're actually high quality leads
2: So did you write out job descriptions and things like that and like training manuals, things like that, or just work one-on-one?
0: Yeah, I didn't do anything like that, to be honest. I just shared with her like who I truthfully am and how I approach the business and what's fantastic about her is she takes everything I say and she creates the training which I feel so blessed for so I'll create videos and then I'll send them out to her team and she trains them for me was a lot of one-on-one communication early on and also having her understand my vision you know like what I actually see for the business, which is just being able to grow to the point where this is eventually an agency, she can become a partner, you know, and just rise together. Um, I think if they feel a part of it, they're going to be much more motivated to work for you. Uh, So that was another huge lesson for me. Like we can't be separate entities, you know.
1: So yeah, so without you doing much of the, you, you don't really do any of the posting anymore, right?
0: Not much, yeah.
1: So, what is your main focus now? Do you still do a lot of sales stuff or you?
0: Yeah, I'm the salesperson. Actually, today I was like, maybe I'll hire a salesperson, you know. Um, I love what I do. Like, I spend a lot of time networking, podcasting, meeting people like yourself, building partners, building referral partners, of course, speaking with my clients. You know, some of them I coach, we speak weekly. So a lot of time and energy goes into those clients. My monthly clients, we normally meet once or twice a month depending on their package. So a lot of my day-to-day is like managing the team, getting on calls, uh, talking with people. And I think a lot of business owners don't always think about how much energy that takes up in itself. And like for me, I just couldn't do both anymore. And I knew that the business wouldn't grow without me doing these revenue-generating activities that I just described.
2: So you kind of removed yourself from the production element put yourself solely in the sales position, but even now you're thinking about other salespeople joining your team?
0: I am, yeah. And the reason why is just because like, more money would be able to come in and maybe they would be able to sell it in a different way than I can you know I've been in this for six years now so I say the same things and like it feels redundant for me even if the other person is like wow this is awesome you know um so yeah I just think somebody with some fresh eyes that would be able to provide a different perspective to the potential client would be fantastic even to just assist me on the sales calls like having two people on a client call versus one person has elevated my business entirely. So that's kind of what I'm playing around with now.
1: So how have you learned and managed some of the stuff in the business, like the admin and finance, like the finance side of things? Was that something you got help with? Or was it something you just try on error figured out how to do it?
0: Yeah, so early on, like, I am one of those people that doesn't want to invest in the business. You know, I hired a business coach because I just really didn't know what I was doing out the gate. Um, It wasn't the best investment, but I made connections and it was fine. So if you've made a bad investment, you know, we all have at some point or or another. Um, But really what I learned with managing stock And managing money from the time I was 15 was absolutely applied in my business. You know, we look at losses. We look at what makes sense to actually take a loss on, especially if I'm investing in a new coach that I believe in um, that can springboard me to another level. And a lot of it has come down to like my mental health, you know, it's like, okay, we might not be making that much because I've hired more people, but I'm at peace and I feel good about the decision. And I also think investing in your business like where I am will help me reach those goals. But if I didn't invest, like I said, I just wouldn't have the energy to keep it up and keep it up at the caliber of content that we create. So one thing or another would have had to give, which wouldn't have impacted us well.
1: And most of your team is remote for the most part.
0: Yeah, they're all subcontractors. So I don't have any full time employees. I don't have to worry about benefits or anything. That was, you know, something I consulted with my uncle guy, my lawyer about prior to making a decision of bringing on other people. I have contracts in place and things like that. And um, it's really helped me, you know, save my butt.
1: What was the process for mapping out part time workers who are doing these monthly like ongoing contracts? Is it like you have this many hours you have to do this month or like, how do you manage and set that up?
0: Yeah. So I pay them twice a month and I normally give them a cap. Like how you said, I'll be like, you know, if you go over 10 hours, shoot me a text, just let me know. So I know what's going on. Um, and then if, you know, some employees, like maybe they get a little excited and they want to overwork a little and I'll be like, hey, this was awesome last month, but like next month, if you can shoot me a text when you hit like 14 hours, that would be fantastic, you know? Um, and then I just explained to them, like, I am a small business. I am currently funding. You are a part of this team to elevate with us, you know, like you will get income if you continue on with Meraki. There's no doubt about that, you know, but... I can't get there if we overextend the budget. So once I explain it to them, they're able to understand it more. Like I have, you know, high school students working for me. I pay them. Like they're fantastic. You know, I get to mentor other women. Some of my, you know, team members are building their own businesses now in different industries, which has been wonderful to see them impacted by Meraki.
1: Excuse me. So, yeah, um... So what do you think is some of the most important things for a social media management service for other people who might be doing the same type of thing? What's What's good when you're looking to grow and scale? What are some of the most important things to focus on?
0: think what you're good at. Like you guys said that, I, I don't know if it was your last episode or an episode before the last, but um, really just knowing like, what are you good at? And honestly, what do you want to be doing? Like, we don't have to live a miserable life. Like that's my belief here. You know, like I'm, again, I'm 27. Like I want to live a full life and I also want to be a business owner. And I see so many people, giving up their lives like they'll say i was a shut-in for two years like build my business i see this on social all the time and i don't believe that you have to do that at all i think if you go in with knowing that you can create something beautiful and you're gonna put in the energy to do so you will make it happen um and also just be open to making mistakes and like trial and error because trial and error has totally (laughs) that mindset shift like out of being a failure to it just being trial and error was huge.
2: Do you have any plans for uh, expanding your business in the future?
0: Hopefully, yeah, you know, like bringing on the salesperson would be a huge expansion for me, just even like mentally, like removing myself, really becoming the CEO, the visionary, and um, managing my team, like being the leader that I need to be to take them to where we want to go. I would love to eventually sell this agency, you know, for a lot of money in a few years. So that's what the vision is.
1: What comes after you sell it?
0: Ah, Bali, (laughs) a beach, a pina colada. Uh, No, I I think just a beautiful family, hopefully, and being able to spend time, maybe write a book, like continue my podcast and live out a peaceful life. Like that is just so important to me. Uh, It's definitely one of my values.
1: Okay. If someone wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way?
0: Yeah. Instagram is perfect. Um, it's my business name, M-E-R-A-K-I underscore media underscore management. Send me a message. Let's connect. I also have my website, Um, It's me that you're getting most of the time in the DMs. So just know that I will get back to you as soon as I can. And yeah, let's connect and hear about your business. I'm happy to like add you to my network as well. I'm always looking to expand that.
1: Cool. And your podcast for people who may not be aware?
0: Yes. So we'll be doing another episode over on my podcast. So definitely come hang out with us. It's called The End in Mind, colon, personal development for entrepreneurs. So if you are, you know, looking for stories or some mindset shifts, definitely, you know, come over and hang out with me. I have a different approach than most business coaches, I'm sure as you could hear from today's interview. So uh, if you enjoyed it, yeah, that's everything I talk about over there.
1: Okay, cool. Well, Caitlin, thanks for coming on the show.
0: Thanks. Thanks, guys.
1: Stories from the Top is your guide to successful business development. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or find Edge of Cinema on YouTube. Stories from the Top is an Edge of Cinema production hosted by Matthew Scura and Jeremy Schmidt. To learn more or get in touch, visit edgeofcinema.com slash podcast.